You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez. And before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Over here on my right, we've got the one and only Mr. Bobby Osinski. Hey, everybody. Hey, Bobby. It's good to see you. Yeah, good to be here. And across the table, we've got the one and only Iron Man of the Audio Nowcast, Mr. I've Never Missed a Show, Mr. Rob Arbiter. Hello there, everyone. Am I actually here or am I on Skype? You are here, buddy. <laughs> awesome. And it's good to be here. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of lean and mean, but let's face it, all the important people are here, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, everybody else is, you know, working and doing, you know, making money and doing that kind of thing. <laughs> Those um, fools. <laughs> that's right. And uh, joining us today, we are honored to have uh, a really good composer, a really good friend, Mr. John Nip. John. Hey, Mike. Hey, guys. Welcome. Thank you. John's a great composer, really fantastic uh, photographer. We're going to be talking about some stuff on the back end and visiting with John. Um, but um, I met him in New York, and, uh, you know, I'll tell the story on the second half. But, yeah, it was it's really cool. And, John, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for having me. And uh, he showed up even after he listened to a bunch of podcasts. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Impressive. So great. I know where that eighth download came from. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but hey, we got a lot to talk about um, on the podcast, um, and I want to let's just start right off the bat. I got asked about monitors, and I was having this conversation with a bunch of audio guys, right? And and I was asked by somebody who had just basically gotten to the business, and they wanted to outfit their studio, and you know what kind of monitor should they get? And everybody had an opinion, and some people had a stronger opinion than others people because some people, you know, if you're that guy who whose self-worth is tied into the gear, like that's annoying guy because they can't see anything past their gear. Because if you happen to have the wrong piece of gear, then for some reason it would look bad on them, you know? So they have the best microphones, they have the best monitors, they have the best, 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 best. And it's like, anytime anybody asks for anything, it's always some, well, I have this, and after doing all this research, you know? And quite frankly, when it comes to monitors, and I just want to tell you guys out there, it's so subjective, you know? And and the best thing you can do with monitors is just to get a pair that you like that sounds good to you, and then just learn the particulars of that monitor, right? I mean... Yeah, I mean, the most important thing is that you know how those speakers translate to the outside world, because what really matters is how your stuff... Translates to the outside world. Yeah. I mean, I like, I started on BX5As. I still like BX5As. I think they're a great, cheap, awesome little speaker. They just, they just put off enough power. And to me, they, they sound much better than the NS10s that everybody worked on for such a long time. And I have a pair of NS10s too. And, uh, and I still like the BX5As. But it's amazing how people are so like defensive. And I mean, I also have some Adam speakers too. So it's not like I'm lowbrow the whole time. But really, you just need to learn your speaker. You just you could pretty much mix on anything if you just know how it translates. I mean, wouldn't you agree, Bobby? Well, yeah, the best monitor is the one you're used to. Really. So and not an, you know, I'm always surprised that people don't listen to monitors first and, and they'll ask around, what's the best monitor? What should I buy? Rather than just going and listening to some and, right? and then deciding. And then when they listen, 
they don't really bring material that they know in order to really evaluate them well. And the other thing I notice is if you're going to listen to a pair of monitors, you have to listen at different levels because they sound different at different levels. So you can't just turn them on and say, oh, that's good or bad. No, you have to listen, you know, at different places just to see if they're going to tra- track frequency-wise. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different things that, that go into listening to monitors, choosing a monitor, and it's random. It's too random for many people, I think. And, and, and I ahead. will say it's... I mean, yeah, it's mostly subjective. There are some parts of it that aren't subjective. Like if you're going to be mixing dance music and you don't have a sub right. and you don't have speakers that go low enough, you're just not hearing low frequencies. And it doesn't matter what your opinion is. If you're not hearing those low frequencies, you're not going to be able to do the work right. But short of that, I think the main dynamic out there is that most people don't ever like to be thought of as having made a mistake. So everybody always defends what they bought uh, <laughs> because otherwise, you know, they yeah. look bad for having bought the wrong thing. Well, from a man who so becomes an ego thing, made a lot of mistakes, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of mistakes, like a lot of mistakes. I've had buyer's remorse literally as I'm walking to my car. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I have a whole buyer's remorse closet actually because I'm not sure what to do with all this. Stuff. <laughs> oh man, I remember uh, I when I bought my first uh, real synth, which was a uh, the Corgam one way back in the day, and. It was thousands of dollars, and I just remember I was so bummed. Like, it was so cool, but yet I just realized how much money I just spent on a keyboard that, for all intents and purposes, I I wasn't touring at that time. I wasn't really doing—I was closer to going to the moon than anything else, you know, with music. But for some reason, I just wanted it so bad, you know? Mm-hmm. But— with synths especially, it's like buying a car. Yeah. You roll it off the lot and it yeah. depreciates by X percent. It's the same thing with the synth. It depreciates yeah. by the purchase price, basically. I yeah. mean, it just drops, especially if it's something the buyer's remorse about because chances are everybody else would too. I, For me, it was the... Uh, I have many examples of this, but the Dynacord Drums sample module, <laughs> oh. which was just terrible. I mean, the Dynacord Drums themselves were okay because they were right. sort of modern for the time. But then they came out with a sample module where you could do your own sounds, and it was terrible, and it was really expensive. And I remember buying it thinking, I'm going to hate myself for doing this, and I still <laughs> – what is it, 25 years later? I'm still angry about it. Hey, this is a great topic, uh, buyer's remorse. That, I mean, this is actually hilarious because I got another one, the Yamaha TX16W. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I yeah. bought that, and – Man, did I I bought it when Guitar Center put them on sale for five hundred bucks. And at that time that was like a bargain for like a It's like, why are they on sale so cheap? I gotta buy one. I know why they were on sale for mm-hmm. so cheap, because it was the worst, clunkiest, horrible sampler known to mankind. But and it um, took forever to load. I remember it would take like forever to, half I, hour to load. I never even I could never program it. I literally I was doing that Michael Jackson loop all the time because that was one of the demos that that Billy Jean. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. I mean, I, I played that and whatever other factory samples I had. But John, what about you? Any any buyer's remorse on any gear? Um, the way I approach gear now. Um, no, I, I don't guess... want. I don't want the smart stuff. I want the stuff when you <laughs> did. <laughs> buyer's remorse. Not lately, because like I was about to say, um, I try as hard as I can to get the sound I want out of the things that I already have. And if That's I, a good way if to I go. can't, if I, if I feel like I've tried for a week and I can't get the sound out of whatever VST or whatever instrument I have, then maybe I'll hit the guitar center or buy something on Sweetwater or whatever. Um, 
buyer's remorse. Usually guitar pedals for me. I don't, I, <laughs> lately. Um, not, not too much lately, though, Mike. Wow. Yeah. Pretty lucky. Way to, way to take me down. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I don't have any buyer's remorse either that I can remember. And, I can lend you some. Yeah, no, honestly, <laughs> every time I bought something I didn't like, I flipped it really fast. Oh, and, he's smart. And yeah. it's funny because I was just thinking yesterday, as a matter of fact, about a piece of gear I haven't thought of for a long, long time. And, it, and I can't even remember the, the number or the model number or anything. It was an Emu uh, hard disk recorder. Oh. Uh, what was that? Yeah. And and the thing about it is I'm drawing a blank. We we had one. I I bought it because I didn't want to get into Pro Tools. I wanted something that was, you know, kind of um uh you know, self uh contained. Mm-hmm. And I did use it on a couple of projects. I got my money out of it, and then I realized, well, I don't know if I like this and and then I flipped it. Mm-hmm. Probably you know, I'm sure I lost money. And it might have been a significant amount, but I don't feel like I had remorse over it. Because you got something out of it. Yeah. We do you remember the open synth Nico? Yes. Which was oh. like <laughs> yeah, yes, I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was a workstation keyboard that had a computer built into it. So it's like a MIDI keyboard and it had a computer built in and it had a touch screen on it. And it had a fan as loud as a jet engine. <laughs> and so you couldn't locate the fan somewhere else because it was in the keyboard you were actually playing. So it was basically like playing on a jet engine. <laughs> And I just remember thinking, this is the coolest thing in the world, except that one thing makes it the worst thing in the world. Yeah. I'll tell you where I am remorseful. I, when, I, when I'm at my studio and I see things that I haven't used for a while and they're screaming at me like, please use me. Yeah. I'm just collecting dust. And they're like, they're like, you know, kids that are like, remember me, remember me, remember me, use me. But I think that's also what I'm trying to do lately is, is use all the tools that I have as opposed to just the one or two things that always seem to get the job done. Um, that's, that's definitely where I am. Um, I just want to say, John, you're like too perfect, and uh, uh, you're just really outshining us all. <laughs> you're so perfect on all your stuff. You're smart. <laughs> you're smart. You're way smarter than I am. I'm just kidding, by the way. <clears throat> I forget what brand it is, but I also at one point spent $1,800 for a ring modulator. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Thinking... I'm going to become the king of the ring modulator. Like, I'm going to use it on everything. This is going to, like, redefine my sound. I think I used it once. I tell you, I have— It's a really good ring modulator if anyone ever needs to borrow it. Yes, can I borrow it? Sure. Super high end. Uh, on the other side of the coin, I've had buyer's remorse when I haven't taken advantage of some gear or some deals. Like, I learned in college, um, one of my first synths that actually touched— uh, way back in the day, was a um, sequential circuit six-track. Oh, yeah. Like, that's old, old. And a few years after that, um, there was one that was available. You know, remember from the time when um, the people were just dumping synths left and right because, the you know, digital and samplers and, and VSTs were coming and, and a, a six-track came available for like a ridiculous price, like a couple hundred bucks. And it's like, man, I, I really would like to like to have that one. And, and I don't let me think about it. And then it was it was gone. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ah, oh. because that like that to me, I didn't care what it sounded like. It's just a it's just a piece of like, I don't know, your heritage or whatever. It's just it, to me it, it would have sentimental value than anything else. And that's really about the only piece of gear that I 
Should have jumped at that when I when I could. Hey, but anyhow, we went off the we went off the track on monitors. Um, speaking of monitors, do you guys have any suggestions? Anything you like right now that's that's out there that you? That I'd you recommend heard? whatever I've bought. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember what it is. Just the, the fact that I own it makes it the best. John, what do you what do you listen on? What do you um, have? I just have the consumer grade Adams A A seven Xs. Those are good. Yeah, they are good. Those um, are good. Adams are good. I mean, I started probably, I don't know, I guess it's been about 10 years on the Rockets, the KRKs, yeah. But then when I bought the Adams way later in time, I realized, like, wow, the sound is not accurate at all. Even though it got me through, and I enjoyed them, but, you know. The high end on the KRKs versus the high end on your A7. Right. Right? It's like, I'm not going to make any judgment other than just say, they're different, <laughs> right? Right, exactly. Uh, how about you, Bobby? What are you uh, What are you listening to uh, lately? A uh, very um, interesting choice because uh, it's not what most people use. Equators, uh, D fives and D eights. I like single point source monitors. I was a Tannoy user for a long time. I switched to uh, JBLs for a little bit, and um, I have to have something a single point source. That being said, Genelec has a whole new line of uh, coax speakers that I'm really anxious to hear. But I'm perfectly happy. I, I almost all all the time I listen to uh, D8s and rarely go back to the D5s anymore. Hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. I, those monitors are actually cool looking. I, I've never actually mixed on them, but no. Now these are not the ones. These are not the big ones. These are actually the the mid price. But they're the ones that have. When you say center point, everything is like the tweeters inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a coax. Yeah. Yeah, they look cool. I always thought they look cool. Yeah. Um, well, that's great. Uh, I've always been partial to Genelec. Um, I, I've heard some amazing JBLs though. I think JBLs sometimes have the a, new ones. The L7s are pretty hot. Have a way smoother top end. It's just it, it, which can be good, and I guess can be bad because you know if something gets sharp on you, it gets away. If a frequency up in the Ks get away from you on a Genelec, you know it's like yeah. it's chopping people's heads off left and right. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I, you know, I, my career has pretty much been you know 1031, 1032s, and now 8040s and 8050s, and and so I know that sound, but. Um, my home studio, I use the S3s, which I really like. I love the ribbon, the ribbon tweeter. It just, I'm just a big fan of that technology. It just, it, it produces a, a dimension that's almost 3D where you can hear into your mix. If you, especially if you have, you know, if you're listening to it at the right level, like you were saying, you know, um, the S3s on a low level, they're okay. But when you get them on a mid level, you know, where it's just really comfortable, they 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 just sound really great. Well, see, that's where most speakers kind of lose when right. you, you turn them way down, and all of a sudden the frequency response is out the window. Mm-hmm. But having said that, I do like the VX five um, A's because I, I can listen to them low and and get a really good. What's the good? Imaging. What's the price tag on those now? I don't know. I, they're probably like three hundred bucks right. or two fifty. I mean, I don't think they've. We can't ask for more. Right, right, right. Uh, and there's not going to be vintage BX five A's. I can just tell you that right mm-hmm. off the bat. I got to tell you the the one thing, the the one speaker that I never got used to and never liked, even though it was a standard for a long time, are NS tens. Mm-hmm. Man, I could not. 
get my arms around those things at all. And I'd go and I'd watch other guys mix on them, and they would, you know, be getting these great mixes. Like, I can't do it. I don't know what is going on. Then I talked to Dave Pensato once. I said, what's the secret? He says, well, on the low end, you have to get the, the cones to crinkle in the right way. And, and once you get that, you know you have the low end right. And it's like, okay, i got to watch the speakers now? <laughs> <laughs> so it never did it for me. I mean, for us, the NS10s were always for let's check it on the NS10s and see how it sounds. But it was never the primary yeah. thing we were mixing on. I, I mean, I've heard some pretty – Slamming tracks on it. Oh, me too. Absolutely. And I, I it and, just, uh, and, yeah, and they actually sound good. I mean, if, if I was always of the opinion, if you can make it sound good on an NS10, then it's pretty much sounds good on anything. It's probably true. I just <laughs> never could. I could never get the hang of those things. Mm-hmm. It just, just do this. Just go to whatever speaker you have. Take your high end. Lose your low end, and then mix. And that's right. pretty. Well, that's like that's like right. the, that's the why saying. we used Oratone. Right. That's like yeah. the saying for bows. You know, no highs, no lows, must be bows. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to you know toss that out there. I said I'd bring it up with the guys about the monitors and about the gear, but ultimately, what they're everybody's saying, you know, it's it's well, use what you got. Use what you got, but also there is no piece of equipment you have that is more pivotal uh, pivotal about whether your stuff's going to translate to the outside world or not. If you can't know your speakers, I mean, I've been using the same Genelex for decades now. And I can tell based on how something sounds at my place, exactly what it's going to sound like in the radio on the radio or in a theater or anywhere, just because of familiarity. And I'm sure they're not the greatest speakers in the world spec wise. And I definitely had to add the sub, you know, once I started doing more dance stuff and more movie stuff, but which the, sub? I just got the the Genelec yeah, smart. 18, the yeah. one that matched it. And it was just a great setup, and I can hear something on there and immediately know how it's going to translate. And that peace of mind is huge because if you if you do a mix that sounds great at your place but you don't know 100% that it's going to translate, I mean, that can be career-ending. It doesn't matter how the stuff sounds at your house. See, it that, matters but, how it sounds everywhere else. But, see, you open up a point there where people need more low-end and they think, well, I'll just add a subwoofer. But the real secret is you have to get the same brand as your main speakers because then the crossover is nice and smooth. Otherwise, you'll never get it right. You'll yeah, the goal get... is not – you're not like trying to beef up your car audio system to just give a bunch of boom. You yeah. need to really hear with a smooth crossover exactly what you got going on. In the and low placement end. too. Yeah, but placement's I, huge. I would say once you add a subwoofer to your system, then you sure as heck better have speakers that don't have a subwoofer, and you got to cross them back and forth. Yeah. Because oh yeah, yeah. Well, because a good sub will have a bypass button where you can hear with. Yeah, but even like a small set of speakers, because once you're booming it big, and then you want to hear. Because let's face it, people are listening off Bluetooth rate, Bluetooth speakers and things like that, and you just you just need to mo- get it out of that system, get it into small, and then just compare. Them. You know, I still tell the story about. With a project I worked on not that long ago, I would send the mixes to approve on their phone. And they'd, I'd get a call saying, it doesn't have a lot of bottom. And I'd say, well, what are you listening on? And they'd say, I'm being very careful here to not identify. Yes. They'd say, well, I'm listening on my phone. And I'd say, well, which kind of earbuds are you using? Which kind of headphones? And they said, headphones? <laughs> no, we're just holding the phone up. They were literally holding the bottom of the phone up to their ear yeah. and judging a mix and saying it didn't have enough bottom. Okay, so that's your client. <laughs> but I, ha- I have another one. This was told to me by a very famous engineer who shall remain nameless. 
and he was working with a very famous band, one of the biggest bands in the world. Uh-huh. <laughs> and my friend eventually quit because they were listening to mixes like on bad speakers, distorted speakers off of hotel te- televisions. And, <laughs> and then saying, well, wait a second, it's leaning to the left. Well, that's because the right speaker isn't working. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's translating to the real world. Yeah. yeah, right, right. That's that's too real of a world now. <laughs> and let's and, not translate to post-apocalyptic. Right. <laughs> and this is a band worth billions of well, a billion dollars. Wow, wow, wow. Well, that's there's two scary. wows on that. Wow that they're uh, monitoring on that, and wow that. Why would you leave a band that's <laughs> billions of dollars? Meanwhile, maybe they're the only ones doing it right. <laughs> oh, that's right. Maybe we're all wrong. Oh, that's right. right. You did say billions of dollars. Yeah, right. <laughs> Can we go around the table and raise hands if you're worth a billion dollars? <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Insert cricket noise. Here. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, monitors, there you go. There you go. Um, I will say I've gotten lots of product in from other producers who are working on really inexpensive equipment, but because they know their gear so well, the stuff is amazing. So the idea that you have to spend a ton of money is just not true anymore. You know, the best speakers I have, $10 no-names computer monitors that I bought at at Fry's. No, they're not honest at all. But actually, they give me a better idea of the real world than anything else I have. Yeah, I think it's somewhat more difficult for the consumer now because, one, you're testing out the monitors in Guitar Center, which is not your room. Yeah, that's a bad place. And... um, Two, if you go to check out what the monitor is or how it performs online, then you're going to be berated by advertisements for the next 10 years saying you need to buy the speaker, you know, and so people are under the assumption that, okay, in order to get any good mix, I need to get a $5,000 speaker or I need to be at the level of professional audio mixers, you know, which is like you were saying, not true. I mean, people have mixed on BX5As and I've heard soundtracks that sound really great and it's because they've either had like a really good room or their ears have matured. Yeah. And they know how to mix better. You know, you bring up an interesting point, though. When it when you're saying go to Guitar Center and listen to speakers, like, a lot of people don't even buy gear at places like that. Right. They, they go to Sweetwater. How are you going to monitor? How are you going to audition, you know, monitors on Sweetwater? It's like... Well, yeah, but that being said, at least you can monitor, or at least you can listen to them in your environment, and if you don't like them, send them back. Well, that's true. You know, you do have that, but then that's and you got to listen in your own environment. Yeah. And speaking of Guitar Center, you know, we're going to take a little sidetrack here. I went to Guitar Center um, this past weekend, and because um, I'm putting together a little live rig for something I'm working on, and... I don't know if you guys have been to Guitar Center lately, but it's... Not if I can help it. I want to talk (laughs) about it, too. I had a bizarre experience at Guitar Center last week. It's so sad. It is really sad. It's like I I could not... First of all, it was probably my first time all year, maybe, that I've been to Guitar Center. Which one? The one in Hollywood. And I know they're doing a big, you know, renovation and everything, but just the lack of stock, the lack of qualified... um, salespeople and I don't want to I'm not berating the guys that were there because you know they they're looking for a job and they you know they need to sell gear and stuff but back in the day man guitar center was the place where you really had the guys that had the head knowledge and they really knew their stuff and now they're salesmen and and I literally was listening to someone trying to talk this this um 
cute little family where the son wanted to get into um, into music and stuff, and they're trying to talk him into uh, a Pro Tools system, and it's way above his like his his head, and I, I'm you know, and, and it's just like you know, I just really wanted to just chime in and say, hey, look, get a Mac, get GarageBand, see if he likes it. If he likes it, then you got options from there. It's mm-hmm. like there's just no need to go full-blown Pro Tools, and, and it's just going frust- to be frustrated. Anyhow, it just was sad. I, well, it has been sad. I'll tell you briefly just what happened to me in Guitar Center last week because same thing. I hadn't been in there for a really long time. And I went in, and I need, had a whole shopping list of things I was hoping to pick up, and they did not have a single thing in stock except one of the uh, keyboards I wanted to pick up was the uh, the Complete Control, the Native Instruments, yeah. the little guy, the 25 key. yeah. And so I said, well, do you have that? Because they didn't have anything else on my list. And they said, well, it shows we have one, but it might be an open box. Mm. I said, okay, well, let me see. If it's an open box and it's an okay shape, I'll, I'll probably get it anyway. So they bring it down, and it's a box, and it's, it looks like a box that's been opened and resealed about 50 times. It's got like a million pieces of tape, and it's been cut. I open up the lid, and in there is the Complete Control 25 keyboard and nothing else. No styrofoam. No manual, no power adapter, nothing. Just a keyboard rattling around loose in the box. And I took it out of the box, and it had, like, peanut butter smeared on it. Oh, Oh my gosh. And I said to the salesperson, like, did someone return it this way? And they said, yeah, we probably charged them a restocking fee. (laughs) I'm thinking, do you even have the power adapter? Like, even if I agreed to buy this and hose it off to get the peanut butter (laughs) and get the manual from online— like, I can't even use it. You don't have the power adapter. They went in the back. They couldn't find it. And I just thought, this is pathetic. Like, in the old days, when there was a real pride, yeah, you know, there, you would never see that in a million years. It was really depressing. Wonder, I left there, and I just said, I'm done. And they wonder why they're, like, $3 billion in debt or some ridiculous thing. They're, there's a, they, they're carrying this. Well, that's not how they're going to compete. They have yeah. a big balloon that's coming up, and it's a big one. It's, uh, you know, three-quarters of a million do- of a billion dollars. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy, and—, and uh, you know, I owe my career to Guitar Center because I used to go in there and that's where I learned all my stuff before I, because I could never touch a DX7, but I could touch a DX7 there, you know? And and I went to go play um, Arturia's The Brute. I just wanted mm-hmm. to, I wanted to Oh, that thing play. is cool. And they could, like the power wasn't even working. It wasn't even plugged in. You couldn't even demo it. It's just, it was just so like, it was so cheesy. It was just so. I felt so bad. I was just. I just felt bad for Guitar Center. It wasn't even. I wasn't even angry. I was just like, wow. You know. I've started calling it Guitar Get. <laughs> guitar Get. Yeah. That's awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> I will say that all the key point people that I knew at Guitar Center went off and just started their own music stores, and that's where I would go now. Yeah. If I were to go to the music store, right. not just order off the line. Mm-hmm. If I'm putting the studio together, I wouldn't go there. I'd go to RSPE. I'd go to Westlake. I'd go to any Westlake of the Westlake Pro. Other, yeah. I'd go to any of those places because you you get the guys that used to be over at the guitar centers that used to have the head knowledge and stuff like that. I, and truthfully, I was a guitar salesman, guitar center pro audio salesman 15 years ago. Were you? Were you? Yeah. So you were one of the good guys. I was one of the good guys. <laughs> yes, I was one of the good guys. In which city? In Towson, Maryland. Wow. And um, I feel horrible saying this, that the team was really great, but they just had a, the structure was off. There was no way that the sales associate could make any money because at the time you would have to sell something ridiculous, like $30,000 before you would even see a penny of commission. And no one's doing that walking into 
a small town in Guitar Center. It's worse yeah. now. It's, yeah. yeah, right. And, you know, I was in Guitar Center recently, similar scenario to what you were saying. Uh, somebody was, consumer was buying a BX5As or wanted to buy the BX5As and were really interested, probably from some advertisement that they saw online. And then the sales associate was, he, he said, plug in your iPhone or whatever and we'll listen to the speakers in the environment where someone's playing Stairway to Heaven in the background at right. 11. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And um, the sales associate was about to sell the young kid a speaker that was, I thought at the time, was beyond what the kid needed, like you were saying. Yeah. Simply because the speakers were louder in volume. And when I went, walked over and said, well, why don't we listen to these again and turn up the volume on the back of the BX5As or whatever they were? The kid was like, you know what? I actually like these better. Now, the sales associate looked at me and said, yeah. <laughs> but I just felt horrible because, you know, I could I, tell he's like, I don't know how I'm going to even start in the audio world if I have to spend, at that time, I think it was like $500 a speaker. And the, the kid was like looking to spend $500 on a complete rig. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, it's it's Best Buy now. I mean, it is. It's just it's just this big consumer. You you can't deal. There's no deals. You know, they'll match prices, but there's no deals. And it's like they're not, you know, it's the chicken and the egg because everybody's going to Sweetwater. But everybody's going to Sweetwater because you can't get, you know, that kind of service over at Guitar Center like you used to be able to get over at Guitar Center. So really depressing. Just... I mean, I walked in there and it just felt like a morgue. I mean, yeah. it's just really <laughs> sad. And they've done all these expensive renovations. The place looks great, but then... There's nothing in stock that's good, and people don't know what they're talking about. Is that Hollywood Rob, or is that yeah. Sherman, no, this Oaks. Sherman Oaks? Yeah. I, oh, Sherman Oaks is horrible. I went there with Martin once, and it was just, it was like the end of last year, and they didn't have anything in stock, and it was like stuff that you would, like a sustain pedal. Well, that's that what would... this was for me. Like, I went in with a list thinking this is no-brainer stuff, yeah. and they had none of it. Yeah. Um, but they'll, you know, they, they can't order it from you. Just yeah, so I hear um, right. One thing I was going to say about Guitar Center in Hollywood uh, was I went up to the drum area because I'm looking to to do some stuff with some drums. And and on the wall, on the way up, there's this um, poster. You know, Steve Gadd was going to be at Guitar Center in October um, for autographs. And it's like, oh, that's really cool because I, I met Steve when I toured with Al Jarreau and he was Al Jarreau's um, drummer. And it was really great. And and. It was just Steve's the nicest guy in the world, and we just hit it off really well. Anyhow, so I was like, man, I'd love to, I'd love to come in October and and see him. And so I go, and just just because I had this premonition being in Guitar Center, I w <laughs> talked to the uh, clerk and I said, is that is that current? And he goes, oh no no, that happened years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like. So why, why do you have it up? Mm. You know, it's or at least just put something like it's not relevant. I can just, what about people who don't ask, who show up in October wow. expecting to see them? So it's just, I don't know, it's just it's just kind of sad. I just wanted to, yeah. That, a little it, sad because I think those of us who have been around long enough have very happy memories of what that place was. Uh, yeah, that's where I know for a fact that on one of Stevie's tours, we bought a ton of gear from Guitar Center. And I know Martin, we bought a ton of gear, as oh, well we as Wesley. Fortune. We outfitted many tours from But just yeah. remember back when it was Guitar Center number one, the only oh, one yeah. on Sunset Boulevard? Wow. Yeah. Uh, I remember, well, that and us, the one in Santa Ana was like, was the only other one that I, I knew yeah, back, the, back well, in the day. I think. When they got to like five, yeah, that, the mood changed. The mood changed. Yeah, we used to go the one on Sunset. Mike Hightower was the salesman. Larry Deeds, Dave Weiderman, who was still there. Dave Weiderman those, is still there. Those were the the sales guys. They were great. That when you were on the road 
and something broke, you make the phone call and you say, hey, can you send this out? We need blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, sure. And you give them credit card, blah, 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 boom, it's gone. Or the if it's what well, you were in LA, it was more more likely we'll have the check over to you because the management company will, you know, courier a check over to them and they would just pay for it right there. But the fact that they would ship it and they would take care of everything and you know it was going to be there when you needed to be there. And now they just... Oh, that whole spirit is gone. They used to open up, uh, I mean, these stories are out there. I'm not saying anything that isn't out there, but Stevie used to go there to do his Christmas shopping and they'd open the store just for him, mm-hmm. like on Sunday morning or, you know, late Saturday night or whatever. And he'd go in and just like empty the place. You know? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and it was just so much fun. There was such an exciting vibe there. And now it just feels so dead. So that's why they don't have anything in stock. Because... Yeah, exactly. Well, that's why they're out of Lynn 9000. <laughs> they don't have that. anything in stock because they don't want to type any more cash in stock. They yeah, would... their, their policy is just to have one in stock now. Yeah. I mean, and... Are there any more brick and mortar stores that you would go to in the LA area at this time? Or... Not that I know of. I call, when I needed this keyboard, I called around to everybody, and nobody had it in stock. I think it's the same everywhere. It's just Guitar Center is so big and has such huge overhead, and the stores look so incredible. It's just such a letdown. You know, you might as well order it off of Amazon, where you might get it at least today, later today. Yeah, if you order that's it what we ended enough, up doing. Or else tomorrow. Well, the guy in the store said, you know, we can order it for you, and I said back, well, you know who else can order it for me? Me. Like, I can <laughs> just go on Amazon and order it. Well, the only other store that, I, that I've that i been to, actually I went to, I've gone to more than I've gone to that, is Sam Ash. Um, Sam Ash over in uh, Westminster, um, mm-hmm. which is in Orange County, down by where I live. Um, and they, I mean, it's similar, but at least... It's a little better? It, it's, it, I don't know if it's better. It's just I'm more familiar with it. And I know because they, they closed... I know they're having some hard times, too. So um, they closed one of the stores, um, the Cerritos store that I used to stop in on my way home. See, I, I, I could plan my route home by the different music stores that I, <laughs> well, <laughs> I need to go and the, to. The truth is, for people who <laughs> love going to music stores, part of that is... There's an impulse to buying that stuff. Yeah. Like, there's always some gadget that you didn't go in there thinking you needed that once you saw it, you realized you needed it. And there is an element of impulse. And if a store is not going to have qualified salespeople or stuff in stock, yeah. then that kills the idea of impulse shopping. Well, and that's a big moneymaker. And impulse shopping with music gear, I mean, it's so important, the feel of a guitar, right? Or if you want to go and you want to get a – I remember I was looking for um, – a little drum machine uh, controller pad. And so you look at certain ones, you look at the push, and you look at uh, machine, and you look at all these other ones. And until you actually go up there and you're like, oh, my gosh, this feels really bad. Like, it looks cool, and it has all these lit-up LEDs, but mm-hmm. when you actually touch the pad, you're like, I, 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 I can't work on this. It's got it's, peanut butter all over it. Well, <laughs> or it's sticky. Like, like You hope it's peanut butter. Some <laughs> of these silicon pads are sticky. Yeah. Like, and And... I, you know, I'm used to like the MPC, right? The MPC had like that perfect rubber and, and just the velocity and everything. And then some of these newer ones have that silicon that's just, it's just sticky. It's like, I don't know. It, it just, it's it's not smooth. And Cheap. Yeah. And you so say you're like, when you're, when you're, you know, you're trying to do a beat and you, you just, I don't know. Let's face it. Color changing LEDs have sold <laughs> tons of gear. It's kind of like Vegas mode on any Avid consoles, you know? Yeah. It's actually meaningless, but it sells a lot of gear. And the blinky, the blinky colored lights. I mean, that's one thing I will say when I went in Guitar Center. They have a million controllers now that have color changing LEDs. 
you know, you have no idea what they actually do, but they look impressive. Yeah, they do. Anyway, um, yeah, so that was, uh, <laughs> that was Guitar Center. Uh, Guitar Center, we knew thee well. Um, it, it in some ways parallels Avid, but we're not going to talk about Avid because mm. we talk about that a lot. But it kind of parallels. You, you just see them just slowly mm. going, you know? And it's going to be a well, sad a day. A lot of the stuff they don't have in stock is from Avid, so yeah. that's how you can tie it together. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a sad day when they, they close up because they have a they have debt, and I just don't know how they're going to sustain. You know what? The saddest thing about that day is going to be that a lot of people aren't even going to notice yeah. because they're losing such favor and they're becoming so, so you know, so much less relevant. But, you know, here's the thing that scares me is, like, everybody's, like, Sweetwater. And, look, Sweetwater's great. Don't get me wrong. Like, AJ calls me even though I haven't ordered from him in, <laughs> in a long time. Hey, how's it going? It's like, hey, yeah. you, know, I, you know, and I'm nice to these guys because they're just doing their job. And I know mm -hmm. some people are really rude and just hang up and don't call me again, you know. But I like AJ. And, AJ, if you're still listening to the podcast, hey. <laughs> but, um uh, but I don't think that's good. I, I just think it's 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 not going to be good because you just you want competition and you want you, there's a whole generation that they don't know what it's like to go into a room and be able to hear a bunch of monitors and they don't know what it's like to have a wall full of synths that you can kind of play on and you can kind of just learn on and just kind of fiddle with the knobs and and that's a huge part you know and and the good thing now is software you got demos right mm -hmm. demos is really cool and i love the way you can buy software now but there's there's stuff that you just got to have your hands on you just got to work not everything's going to be virtual you know what the the visit i made to guitar center a few days ago in the old days that exact visit would have yielded probably three to four thousand dollars in sales and instead it yielded zero you know, I went in there ready to buy, knowing exactly what I wanted, yep. and all they had to do was hand me the box. And that's, got, I don't know how you stay in business. And you, you know, got peanut butter. Last, <laughs> and last, it wasn't weird stuff. It was pretty mainstream stuff I needed. Last year, I wanted to buy a Zoom handheld recorder. Mm -hmm. Needed one. And I thought, well, I'll go to Guitar Center. And I went in there, and there wasn't many people there. And I couldn't get anybody to wait on me. Mm -hmm. and, and there was basically nobody there. And after a while, I was just like, well, okay. Yeah, I want my money. My so, uh, you know, I walked out, ordered it on Amazon, mm -hmm. had it, you know, within a day or two, and everything was cool. Mm -hmm. um, before we go, because we're going to take a break right now, I will have to say, um, since this is, you know, we're listened to all over the world, this is just pretty L.A.-centric. I'm sure there's still stores that are surviving oh, that yeah. aren't Guitar Center out in the, like, maybe Rhythm City out in Atlanta and, um, you know, other places where they have their their like Austin, I know has some really great music stores. Um, Nashville, yeah, Nashville does too. So I mean, they're still out there. It's not doom and gloom for everybody, you know. And and I'm sure somewhere in LA, there's going to be somebody that's going to pop. Actually, up. I shopped quite a bit at the guitar centers in Austin, and they were pretty depressing too. <laughs> <laughs> but there are a lot of independent guitar shops. Yeah, and, that's and the thing, man. Non guitar centers. I just wonder if they'll ever have a chance to compete online if they eventually did close all their brick and mortar stores. If they could ramp up their customer service and everything to I mean, what's stopping them water. now if they're right. not doing it now I, mean, it's I would just, hate to see people anyone lose their jobs across the country there's probably thousands of guitar yeah. stories but at the same time they should be focusing on that because that's probably most likely where well, it's musician's going. friend yep yeah well which they own oh okay yeah and here's the thing too look you gotta i gotta give kudos to sweetwater they are one 
well-run organization. Like the way they have their campus, it's not just a sales place, it's a campus. The the um, different events that the Gear Fest that they put on, things like that. The way they train their salespeople, the fact that they have all these reps come in and they have an auditorium where, and you actually do this presentation to to the salespeople. Um, it, to me, that's like, that's really, really good stuff. They don't know? take your gear unless you come in and do a presentation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and train the staff. See, and, th- and that's... By the way, every year at NAMM, I've told Chuck Zarek, who started it, that he needs to be a guest on our podcast and we still have yet to see him. So Chuck, we're giving you a huge <laughs> shout out here, so come be on the podcast. <laughs> now, that being said, I was at Sweetwater when it was one store... In basically a mini mall. Wow. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's going back a ways. In, in Indiana. Was that the conversation when they went up to you and said, hey, Bobby, we have an investment opportunity for you? <laughs> <laughs> and then you said, no. Nah. No, you know, I was working for Amec at the time, and he wanted to be a dealer. So I went out to check him out. And it was such a small store in Indiana, and there didn't seem like there was too many opportunities for him to sell a big console. But at that point, he told me about his idea to set up. At the time, it wasn't; it was even pre-online, so it was just like a phone order. Phone order, yeah, and a mail order, and it was like, you're not going to do this because of the politics involved with all of the dealers and all the reps. Mm-hmm. And he persisted and made it happen and turned into something that's pretty fantastic. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. Well, um, we're going to take a break right now, and and that's amazing that they came from such humble beginnings oh, yeah. to turn into what they are right now. Oh, you know what? Before we go, i got to give a shout-out to you. I, I will tell you, one other store that I, that I bought some stuff um, last year from was Alto Music. You know? yep. I don't know if you guys are familiar with yeah, 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 yeah. this. So hopefully they're they're doing well. <laughs> Did you used to buy from Rainbow Guitars? No. Well, that was like a big thing as soon as uh, – they they were sort of like in the Sweetwater category of they'd ship stuff to you right away, and there was a great salesman there named James who was great. And a lot of the L.A. people would just call them because, you know, money was tight and they'd ship you stuff. But, you know, I, Chuck really got – he got it more than anybody else. Yeah. I mean, the customer service being so good. It's really – yeah, it's really great. All right, well, we'll, we'll take a break, and then when we come back, um, we're going to visit with John. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, what he's doing and also social media and uh, talk about how he got uh, 15,000 followers on just his Instagram. And uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about um, sound design that I wanted to get on this first half, but we, <laughs> we kind of went all over the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a fun, depressing ride. So <laughs> we'll catch you on the other side. You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. Have a question for the panel? Would you like to be a guest on the Audio Nowcast and live in the L.A. area? Email us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back to the Audio Nowcast. And before the break... We were just depressing ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the death of retail. Now, but you know what? It's it cycles. So we'll see what happens. You know, things come, things go. Trees don't grow to the sky. So something's gonna happen. Hey, uh, I wanted to talk. What does that mean? Trees don't. <laughs> I never heard that. You never heard that? Trees no? don't grow to, grow to the sky. Am I the only one? I'm probably the only one. Actually, they do, don't they? <laughs> no, no, they do, they grow up. Trust me, I'm about to have a tree trimming bill. They get pretty close, <laughs> right? They they go. What what that means is basically. 
um, they don't grow forever. They eventually stop growing oh. at a certain height. So every trend that goes up is not always going to go up. There's going to be something that's going to, it's going to level off somewhere, somehow. You know, Super deep way to start the second half. Yeah, I know. But like Apple's the big behemoth right now, but who knows how long they're going to be the big behemoth. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there was a time when you, the Ford and the Chryslers were the big giant, you know, companies Exxon. in America. Exxon. I, how about IBM? IBM. So that's the, that's basically that saying is, you know, Trees don't go to the sky. I mean, I guess they do, but yeah. I don't know. I ripped it off from somebody somewhere. So <laughs> I actually spent half today talking to tree trimmers, and that's why I was arguing that <laughs> point. Just happened to be topical. Um, anyway, uh, I wanted to. Uh, this I wanted to get in the first part, but it has to do with sound design. Um, because we have a lot of sound designers out there, and Scott's not here, and he would have been great to get his opinion on it, but um, he's working. Everybody's working. Diego's working, and uh, Brandon's working. So we're not working. So. Yeah, great. <laughs> uh, no, but um, I recently had to mix a project, and I got um, some outside sound design. And let me tell you, the first thing I had to do with all the sound design is kill all the frequencies where the dialogue was, which was, you know, your Ks, you know what I'm saying? From like 8K down to like 2K. Just I just had to clear room in there. And and I just wanted to bring it up on the on the podcast. If you're a sound designer and you're designing commercials or you're designing with anything that has any type of dialogue, please, please, please just be aware that if you don't manage your EQ I'm going to manage your EQ. We're going to manage your EQ. We're going to, because there's nothing worse than amazing sound design that just clashes with the dialogue. And it happens all the time. Sound designers fall in love with their sound design. And it's, and you know, the same can be said with composers too. You get a lot of composers that do the exact same thing. A sound designer and a composer will always want their stuff louder, you know, mm-hmm. and the producers will always want the words louder, right? So I'll tell you what, a big secret is leave me room for the dialogue and I'll push your music and I'll push your sound design as high as I possibly can. Because what the producers don't know, and I'm sure some of them do, is, you know, the sound design and the music, that's where you get your emotion and that's where you get the cool factor. But just be aware of those frequencies where your dialogue is because it's so important um, for, as a mixer, for me to be able to get sound and have it usable without having to do too much work because ultimately I'm changing your sound design. It's it's not the way you want it. it well, and you, it's not like you want a sound designer to do like a radical radical EQ no. carve out and make it impossible for you. It's more about the choices they make, understanding this is going to play behind dialogue, so make sure it's not yeah. something that's naturally going to fight with dialogue. Yeah, just don't, you know, if you have a sound and it's sibilant, and it's and just know that we're probably rocking a deesser on there, right? And we're probably managing a lot of those frequencies. And and if I'm not going to let my s's get away uh, on on those frequencies, I sure as heck aren't going to let my sound design get away on those mm-hmm. frequencies because it's going to kill people right in the forehead, you know? And you're right. It's not like I'm not asking them to just carve out a giant no man's land, but just be aware, you know, shings, you know, you know. Can we just stop with symbols, right? I mean, just let's just start the the whole reverse symbol and the whole that whole symbol thing. Can we just can we find something find mm-hmm. something else? Like, can we put that away? <laughs> it's played. It's I mean, you see that all the time, you know. There's like 
and I do it. There's there's go-to sound effects that if you don't have anything else, you just put that in there, and it's at least it's gonna work. Like symbols mm-hmm. usually work. You know, reverse whoosh. Reverse whoosh. <laughs> white nose whoosh. Mm-hmm. Reverbed whoosh. Any of the whooshes. Any of the whoosh families work. Mm-hmm. But I I just you know I, I don't know. I've I've just come across that a lot lately. So I wanted to kind of basically help my sound design friends out there. You know. Well, and it's I think we've talked about it on the podcast before. Understand how what you're doing is going to fit into the context of the final mix. I know Scott and I have talked about the Godzilla stuff we did where I was doing the the music and he was doing the sound design. And I knew that the sound design was always going to win. You know, we were working on trailers and different pieces that didn't have a lot of dialogue. So it was going to be music versus sound effects. But, you know, if Godzilla steps on a village or whatever, you're not going to hear a bunch of violins. You're going to hear the big explosion. Right. So what I learned to do is just because I knew that Scott was going to be a total, you know, soundtrack hog and he was going to take all the bandwidth. I would always write the most impressive stuff for between when the sound effects would happen because I knew I was never going to win the sound effect battle. Yeah. And if you understand that as a composer or as a sound designer, you're never going to win the battle against dialogue and assume if you're a composer, you're not going to win the battle against sound effects. Just right in the spots where you're going to be able to shine a little bit. Um, I have a friend, uh, his name's Duncan, and I'm going to give him a shout out. He does Foley, but he does a lot of cut Foley. He doesn't even walk a lot of it. He has his own library. And you give him a film and he'll Foley the whole thing just on edit. You know, he doesn't have to rewalk it. He'll do all the clothing. He'll do all the stuff. And and he will, if he has to, um, you know, he'll obviously he'll record some stuff because he doesn't have everything. But mm-hmm. he's really good because he has such a great library and he does it really well. The best thing about Duncan's sound and... And I will 100% um, would always will always use him. Is I've heard it, and I've heard it in other mixes. Is it's it sounds um, real, and nothing's hyped, and you can boost it in the mix, and it just sounds like it belongs, you know. And that's before you even do any kind of EQing or anything like that. And the thing about Foley is, if you're really good at Foley, and your Foley sounds good. If you push the Foley, you can have like loud Foley and it's not going to be too loud because if you think about it, a lot of times when you're in the real world, you're actually hearing the real sounds of like if you drop a book or if you're walking away. Sometimes that's louder than your dialogue in just everyday life. You know, if you're moving and if you're doing something in the kitchen or you're doing something – the Foley is loud. It's not soft. You know, sometimes you get into these mixes and you hear films where the they have the dialogue and the dialogue is so dominant and the Foley is just kind of like kind of touching and just kind of feeling. And that's not that doesn't sound real. That doesn't sound that's just not real. If you if you go on a mix, um, a good friend of mine was mixing this short and it had to de- do with um, military. So there was backpacks and there was dirt and all that. And it was um, some perspective shots. And he was mixing the Foley. And at this level, it sounded okay. And then he punched it. And I'm like, dude, it sounds way better and more real and more intense with a little bit louder Foley. And uh, so all that to say is, because it wasn't interfering and there wasn't any frequencies that were getting away from you, allowed him to punch it up and it just sounded great. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Do you record fully? Yeah, I do if I have to. Yeah. How do you do it? Um, well, I've got a booth on my right next to my in my bay, and I'll just jump in there. Or if I don't want to have that closed boothy sound, then I'll just do it in my in the bay itself. The bay's big enough. What do you use to record it? Um, I have a uh, 416, and I also have a TLM-103 or a U87, any any of those. In, into what? Into Pro Tools. 
into a preamp. Uh, yeah, what, what's the preamp? API preamp and then into Pro Tools. No um, compression? I compress in Pro Tools, but yeah, I, I don't. With that, well, the API preamps, you really don't have to, you know, it, it's yeah. pretty good. Um, the one thing, like, delicate, dainty sounds, like I had to, I had to, record some napkins once because I had this thing of this napkin that just kind of blew open and that was that was a challenge because when you have to get those really delicate sounds and balloons I had to have balloons you know that little bumping sound where a balloon hits another balloon I had to follow that once too yeah I'm curious about that because of the you need a quiet signal chain obviously so yeah, the quietest, especially if you're going to do a bunch of tracks that are going to add up yeah. to something. Yeah, and and in all truthfulness, uh, the API is a really good good preamp, but you know that's the time when you want a transparent preamp. If you yeah, can get a um, quiet millennia, or yeah, millennia, the Massenberg stuff is great. For yeah, that. if you can get something that's just not colored and is just crystal clear. Um, then yeah, that even more power to you because that that and and anybody can record like the loud stuff. What what you really get your money's worth is when you record the soft stuff, mm -hmm. like uh, like napkins. Believe it or not, napkins are really kind of difficult, and yet they make a sound, you know. And and I don't know. Well, and the timing's perfect because I'm I've actually been working for the last ten years on a ten gigabyte library of nothing but balloons <laughs> bumping into each other and napkins <laughs> rustling. So it's it's gonna be perfect for you. But <laughs> and ribbons because I also had to do ribbons. Oh, ribbons! Too. It was balloon. It was a birthday party thing, and so there was there was this wind and there was these shots of this napkin going and this balloon bumping and and this I did a, a couple years ago and and uh, it just it took me a bit and finally I just said. I just sent a PA to get some balloons, and we just recorded everything, and it just turned out perfect. The other thing that we also did is we did um, dripping 7-Up with the little fizz, the little boop, boop, Ooh, boop but that's because, tough. And that was just, just so delicate because here's the thing. When you have sounds that are that um, low, you get that background ambient noise. So, yeah. so you want to roll off all that low end, all yeah. that stuff you know you're not going to need, just just roll it and you off. never realize how loud your environment is until you try to do right. that. Right, <laughs> it's so it, it's exactly right. So yeah, don't be afraid. You know, like I know a lot of times when you're first recording and learning how to record, you're just like, don't ever EQ, don't ever EQ. And I'm like, no. <laughs> if you're gonna do something like that, get all that stuff. You know, you're not gonna use. You're not gonna. You're not gonna use it. You're not gonna raise the volume of that. So just kill that. You know. Well, and sometimes it's EQ, and sometimes it's just record the room tone and subtract it. You know, it's like. Yeah, you're not actually trying to carve out something with EQ. You're just trying to get rid of ambience. Yeah, but um, anyway, anyhow, I just wanted to bring that up. Sound designers out there, because I know we have some sound designers that listen to it. You know, just just be aware, be aware of of how you present your stuff and in context, like like Rob was saying. Which uh, brings us over to Mr. John Nip. What a segue. I know, right? Well, John's a composer, sound designer, and uh, he knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I love creating music in the 4 to 8K range only. <laughs> <laughs> That's my specialty. Okay. Played primarily on balloons and napkins. Right, exactly. <laughs> okay. That was the most awesome joke ever. <laughs> That's why I get hired. That That's only audio guys. Right, right now, there's a bunch of people that are laughing, and then there's a bunch of, like, spouses or girlfriends and boyfriends that are going, what? 
You don't hear too many frequency-based comedians these days, do you? <laughs> now we know why you're at 15,000 people on your Instagram. <laughs> That's right. But um, but I just want to tell you a story. I was doing some production actually for Spaces out in New York, and uh, I went with uh, the producer and went and met uh, John and his girlfriend and actually met his girlfriend. Um, and then she said, hey, you know, you got to meet my, my boyfriend. Uh, you guys would really hit it off. And so she called him. Um, and uh, he came out, and sure enough, it was like love meet- at first sight. That's- <laughs> 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 it was like meeting a, a, a fellow brother, kindred you know? spirit. It was a kindred spirit, and we ended up talking, and it was really great. And we we've kept in touch, and um, and uh, and then I found out a little bit more about you know what he does is with Avenue Audio, and uh, and then like I said, his Instagram. He's really active on social media. Has some amazing. Um, posts and amazing uh, accounts that I recommend people to follow. Um, and so I invited him out here because he started listening to the podcast and uh, he liked it. <laughs> nice. I'm always uh, on the road between Baltimore and New York, like I was saying, so I always get the chance to listen to your podcast. Oh, that's good podcast time. It is good podcast time. <laughs> how Deep many, in the heart of Pennsylvania. How many podcasts have you listened to? Three. <laughs> no, no. Seriously, it's so far since we started talking, probably 20. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, well, you have 150 more to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can skip the early ones. <laughs> I'll just tell you that. That's the good stuff, though. Uh, well, you can just you. take out the parts where we bag on Avid. That gets it down to about 15 minutes of total listening. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, see, if you say positive things on Avid and then you reverse the phase, it takes everything out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But um, but anyhow, I wanted to bring I wanted to bring John in because um, he has some really good music and we'll talk a little bit about and and now he's you know thinking about doing some more stuff out here. Um, but how did you get involved with audio, John? And just tell us a little bit about your journey to where you are right now. Uh, pr- probably a pretty typical path. I just started recording. Well, I started in bands in Baltimore uh, way back. Uh, I guess when I was fourteen or fifteen years old, and then uh, I wanted to way of recording that obviously and i went out and bought a Tascam tape recorder i think it was four track maybe an eight track i don't remember the exact model um because at that time i wasn't really fascinated with the recording process in general i just wanted to make sure that i could get my ideas to tape right and uh but then that quickly segued into wanting to learn more because i thought if i could do this and manipulate this manipulate this you know and then it was fascinating to me so i wanted to be sure that i was doing it right and where I was living at the time, I didn't wasn't really surrounded by any creative people or people in the audio industry or things like that because I grew up in a small town. Um, but, you know, later down the road, I found out there was a recording school and things like that that I went to. So, uh, yeah. What school did you get to? I went to a school outside of Baltimore, uh, Sheffield Recording, which was the major recording studio in the area. It still is. Um, and they had huge SSL boards. And I think I was, I was one of the last classes that this was – 2003. Oh, Sheffield's a big studio down there. Right. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the last classes to learn anything about recording the tape, and I didn't carry that with me because I never got the experience or the opportunity to do so other than recording in studios, you know, for my own projects, recording the tape. But uh, as a mixer from a mixing standpoint, right. I never had the opportunity. So. So then you you got started and um, how how about Avenues Audio? I know you. That's that is 
jumping way ahead, I guess that would be Avenues Audio was a company that I started that was prim- that's primarily focused on my music for advertising. Um, as I started collaborating with a lot of other songwriters around Baltimore and New York, uh, my friend Tim Anderson in Lancaster, Pennsylvania is a fantastic guitar player. Right. And he kind of helps me on, on scores as an assistant composer role from time to time. And I just try to surround myself with other live musicians and things so I could elevate the scores if I was getting a commercial job or a film job and things like that. So I could flex those muscles and work outside of the, uh, the doll, the doll. So, um, and what, what are some of the, um, clients that you've, you've worked with? Um, working in music houses around New York. I mean, I've worked with all the major agencies around New York and around the country. And, you know, I've, done that for the past five, six, seven, eight years, and I'm, I'm starting to get burnt out on that a little bit. And I, I mean, I started scoring um, because I was already obsessed with film, and I always, way back in the day, I was considering going to film school and, right. you know, learn about storytelling that way, but I fell into music, and music was already my way of telling somebody's story. And so that was kind of just segued into, let me just marry the, pic, you know, the music to the picture. And, um and then I've, you know, it was hard to come by in the area where I was living too, you know, finding filmmakers that were doing things that I would contribute music to. And, right. Um, but that's how I ended up in New York working in music houses and for a number of years. And, and I will say, you know, um, his stuff has appeared for everybody from 3M to Audi to, you know, Armani and to all, I mean, it's all the major brands and stuff like that. You've done some stuff. I, I'm going to brag for you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But um, but you have a really good sound. I mean, you you deal with a lot of ambient stuff. You you, you have a lot of textures and a lot of things like that. Right. You know? And I, I think now I'm 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 trying to focus more on narrative film. And I, I think that working in advertising music for a while and learning the ropes and in the in the pace of life and how you know the tight deadlines and everything and all the compl- complications that go into the creating music for advertising and just that world in general. Um, I feel now that I'm, I'm more focused on, on narrative filmmaking right. and short stories. And that, as of now, I'm, I'm writing less in the, in, the, in the realm of advertising music and more experimenting more with ambient textures, like you're saying, right. and using live musicians and manipulating their sounds. And... What, is, what were some of the challenges being in advertising music that you faced? I mean, tell, there's a lot of people who don't even know what that's like. I mean, I know what that's like, but why don't you tell people? <laughs> well, I, I think just like in the film industry or, or in, you know, audio industry in general, but specifically the advertising industry, it's it's hard to break into. You have to find the right people that have had experience who are who already, you know, that you can either shadow or mentor for. Um, pay, you know, tight deadlines for me starting out was that that was that was grueling. I didn't understand like, wow, okay, how are these other composers getting things out like super quick right away? And I'm like, okay, I really need to learn to watch the clock and let things go. It doesn't need to be perfect. And, you know, and... Uh, what would be a tight deadline? Just like... One day. <laughs> oh, like hours, actually? Really? Yeah. I've, I've had things like four hours, please. You wow. know? Uh, and that's like brand new original. Like, we just want something... Like this, and then you do it. I've I've augmented things that I've that I've done that I knew that would probably work. I got gotcha. you. But I I there has been scenarios where it's been 
I would say six or seven hours. Can you do something? And I didn't have it already done from a job that didn't go through. Wow. Yeah. That's just, and hopefully it's it's never too complex. So that falls into the ambient textural world, or you know, <laughs> how long would it would that be that they want? How, how much music? Fifteen to thirty seconds, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Not, not, nothing longer than that. And a lot of you know, a lot of the you know, I haven't. A lot of the mediums that I'm writing music for is you know it's changing, and which is what we're going to talk about shortly. I guess social media is yeah. is, is more like stuff videos for digital marketing and where videos are 10 seconds long now things for instagram or snapchat or all these new things are well they're old things now but things that keep popping up that people need music for and, right. and so like uh i think i entered advertising music that entering advertising music and experiencing that world first helped me learn how to hone my skills a little bit better and now I'm trying to apply this to all the other mediums. Yeah, I mean, because the, you know, you get six or seven hours, but guess what? The notes are going to be the same. Right. Exactly, <laughs> it's yeah. like, they don't care whether you had six hours or six days, they're still going to give you your notes. Right. Yeah. And and the way clients are, you know. Well, they, you know the famous saying, there's never time to do it right and always time to do it over. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that is the, definitely true in the advertising world. But it's so true. It's like sometimes they put these guys under these this horrendous deadlines and and you would think, that they would have like, okay, this guy only had six hours, so let's. Oh, they look. don't care. Yeah, they don't care. They they don't care. Their standards never go down. Your time shrinks, but the standards never go down. But like you said, man, you survived that, man. You could survive anything. But that is one of the reasons why the music library business is booming. Yeah, you know, like some of these larger music library companies. Um, that's one of the reasons because the deadlines are so tight and the quality of music is pretty decent um I, I see that happening more often than create something original you know just pulling from the things that you already have i mean that's always been the case right but yeah. i mean i i'm always impressed with the music people that we work with just the variety that you can say you know it's like hey you've got two days we need something that sounds like metallica pink and uh james brown yeah, next right. thing you know, and you get a piece of music that sounds like it was like the hideous child of that whole union, you know. But but these guys are good, man. There's a lot. There's a lot of competition, right? Especially in advertising. Definitely, and it is one of those things that you just have to keep grinding and trying your hardest and doing your best work. I mean, like that competition, you know, you you don't want to lack anywhere. So that really helps you focus on studying arrangements and things like that, and really building up your craft. Um, but it's hard. I mean, it's hard as a freelancer now because, uh, there, again, this is what we're going to be talking about, but there's so many different avenues for you to um, showcase your material and right. which way is the best way to go and how much time do you want to, you know, spend on promoting your image and yourself, your brand and everything and not focusing on writing your music, you know. Um, I mean, there's an argument there that without all the social media platforms that we have now today – you know, these composers of the past, but I mean, that's what they would constantly be doing. And I mean, there are people that are doing that now still that reject Facebook, reject right. Instagram, reject all that stuff. Um, yeah, so you have to, you have to manage. Those. Well, let's segue into that really quick. You know, you're, you're, you've become pretty successful and I'll brag on you a little bit cause you're a really humble guy, but you've done some really cool stuff and I've heard your music and you've done some films and things like that. Um, so social media. Now, I know you have 15,000 
likes, I mean, 15,000 followers on your Instagram account. Your Instagram is really good. You're also a photographer. Yeah. You do photography. And, and I think that's really great. I mean, I find creative people liked to create, you know, right. and it just really helps them in, in whatever they do. You know, if you shoot photography and you do music, sometimes they just kind of vibe out. Um, has, have you seen a direct correlation with your social media and maybe getting gigs and maybe you're, you're composing or definitely. are they definitely, you know, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. Because I mean, it's just, it's, there's more channels to, to, for people to find you. And if you know how to harness that power in, in a sense, then yeah. Because I find it interesting because we, you know, Bobby has some really great books on music 3.0 and stuff about social media and for the bands and for performers. But what I found interesting is, you know, a composer, you know, taking advantage of that. That I think that's, that's pretty enlightening, you know, because there are composers that you don't even know about, but yet you're out there, you get a lot of followers, you, you let your art speak for itself and it helps you helps you get gigs. Do you find that often the case in the stuff that you've written? Have you, are you familiar with any other composers that have really big active social media accounts and things like that? Honestly, I don't pay attention. Right. I pay attention to what I do. Right. And I don't think too much about anybody else unless they somehow present themselves across my radar. But, you know, interesting, we should bring this topic up. On Sunday, I just finished the second edition of Social Media Promotion for Musicians. Hmm. Of the nice, which it's a, the second edition. The first edition actually did very well. Wow! So well, that'll, that'll be out in the fifteenth. Now, musicians in general, or music like musicians? With well, band? it's musicians, engineers, bands, uh, producers, songwriters. It, it's basically all the same. You know how you deal with your social media to promote yourself is not the same thing as using social media. Promotion is completely different. Huh. Because that's interesting because I think the point, one point that John brought up that I found is, is the time. Like I, you know, I started Instagram, you know, mine's Mike 3.0 and then also Audio Nowcast has an Instagram. And I, you know, when I go to concerts and when I do stuff that's interesting, I'll, I'll post some, but man, it's, it's a time suck. If I sat there and really kind of did everything that I needed to do, that's like, that's like drawing that line between you how much you dedicate yourself. Yeah, there's no question. Well, for instance, the first hour to hour and a half of my day, every single day, is writing blogs, writing two mm -hmm. blogs. And I know I'm going to have to do that. It's just part of my day is part of what I do. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, like, you, you can definitely find time in your day to do it if you just stop and look for it, you know, um, whether that's just turning off the TV or you know whatever um uh, that that took me a while to find but that's where i spend my time working on social media or prom promotion things like that you know not turning off the television or or you know even rejecting friends invitations to go out you know because i know it's so important and this is you know the creative life is is very hard and if you really want to do it then that's what you have to do you have to are you doing facebook as well doing facebook yeah because, you know, Facebook and Instagram are one company at this point. And yeah. I, have you done any advertising? Facebook advertising, for instance? Yes. Yes. Um, my girlfriend is absolutely killer 
at Facebook yeah. advertising. You yeah. know what? Let me. We got to give a, a shout out to Natasha because she uh, she's John's girlfriend. Actually, when it was with Bliss um, when we were shooting out in New York. She, it was, Natasha is one of Bliss's best friends, and that's how we made the whole connection. And and Natasha also used to work in audio right. and, and was an editor um, and worked out here, right? Natasha worked at Wildfire Studios and a number of other studios. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I owe everything to her. And Shout out to no, Natasha! Right, right. No, I mean, in terms of digital marketing and, and other things, but... Um, she is a master at that and is really crushing it in New York. And, uh, yeah, Natasha Shumi. So um, how many followers do you have on Facebook right now? Facebook, under 1,000. Because okay. I, I keep Facebook friends somewhat personal. Okay. Right. That makes sense. Somewhat personal. And how did you grow your Instagram to 15? Okay. Which a lot of people don't think is a lot, but for me, at 30, <laughs> that's like no. When you, hit, when you hit 10 grand, that's... That's pretty good. Yeah. It's um it, it took a long time. And I think this correlates to how why Sweetwater's doing so good is that I responded to every comment and every like that a person like if someone took the time out of their day and said, Hey, awesome shot, then I would write back and say, Thank you. Simple, right? And that kept them around. And that took two, three, four years to build up to that fifteen K number, only because if they're gonna take the time again out of their day to compliment me, I'm gonna do the same for them. Ooh. <laughs> no, I mean, no, no, no. I'm just thinking about a bunch of times when I don't respond because I'm just so stinking busy. But you know what? That's why that's why you're here, right? That's the way you're gonna you're gonna help train me. Um so if you're out there listening in the audio nowcast world, um I will get to your <laughs> your posts and your um no that that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um because if people feel like they're connected, right, then they're gonna respond. Right. And it and it's usually it's it's funny that I have probably fifty fifty really it's absurd, fifty really good friends on Instagram that I've never met. Mm-hmm. And we're consistently commenting on each other's photos and, and growing in our craft in terms of photography. And Again, it's absurd. I've never met these people. You know what? That's interesting because there's some people like that on the podcast that I've never met, but I have some friends all all over the world now, actually, and it's 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 cool. It's interesting and it's cool. And then there's some that that um, I've actually met at the Nam show because I'll come in for the Nam show and then we'll just touch base. Um, so yeah, that's 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 interesting that you can form those relationships. Bobby, um, how would you suggest if someone wanted to? grow their social media uh, network? What's what's that? What would be the first step that you would suggest? Well, the very first thing would be you have to understand that you can't be on everything and be good at it and have enough time in your day to do the other stuff that you want to do. So you almost have to concentrate on just one and get really good at it before you, you go to another one. Hmm. I would suggest either Instagram or Facebook. Probably Facebook would be the better way to go. Uh, and, of course, there, there's two presences. The one is your personal one, and then the other is having a fan page or you right. know, a business page, which, you know, you really can't have one without the other when it comes down to it. But that would be – and then the other thing would be not to – and maybe this is more important – not to overlook your website. The reason why is your website is the only thing that you can control 100%. 
You can't control your social media. You can't control the look and you can't control the feel. You can't control when they turn when they change the terms of services, which they do often. And but your website, you can control everything, and it's the one repository of all of your contact information and all of your content and everything. So that's extremely important that you know you have a, a really good website and a point and your social media points there, so people know where to go when they need information about you. So what you're saying is the Audio Nowcast website <laughs> with its WordPress classic <laughs> needs to evolve. <laughs> yeah, we do need to evolve. I do know that. And we are working on that. Um, that's that's interesting, though, about the fact that you mentioned um, Facebook and Instagram because neither one of you guys said anything about Twitter. And uh, Twitter has plateaued. It's actually, it's it's worse than that. They're actually losing members right now. I think this might not be true. I don't know at this point, but I thought I heard whispers of them charging a $99 a year service fee or something, which that would just kill it for people in terms of Twitter, I think. You know, it turns out that it's really big with journalists. Mm. Journalists feel that they have to be on there. And if you want news, that's a good place to go. But when it comes to the average person, they could care less, and they don't. A lot of them just can't get their arms around. I, you know, you just whenever I hear about Twitter, I just hear so much negative about negative about the trolls that are out there, and just a, a lot of negative connotations and and that. And uh, I don't know. It's it's for a while there, I thought I'd have to do um, Twitter, but I find um, Instagram much more appealing to me. So that's why I did the audio nowcast Instagram that. Um, going to try to uh, update and keep up. Surprisingly, YouTube used to be in that, and, and it is. It's still important. But now the Facebook video is around. Yeah. Yeah. You can stay completely on Facebook, and Facebook video is actually better in that your, your reach is better on Facebook video. They push it better. You know, it's so funny you say that because I read an article um, that – um, more and more companies are going straight to Facebook, bypassing their channels that they have yeah. on uh, on YouTube because it's so much more effective. They found that it tracks so much better and it reaches better people. Yeah. And that, and I think, to be honest, I think YouTube Red kind of helped kill the whole YouTube thing. Well, the latest is YouTube Red and Google Play are going to consolidate. Wow. Because... It's like you, if you buy one, you get the other, but everybody's confused. What should I buy? And you know that when you have too many choices, you go, oh, I can't make up my mind. I won't right. do anything. I'll get Spotify instead, and that's what's been happening. Speaking of Spotify, they're they're gunning for programming. They're going to be starting doing some programming also. So it's like all these people are, are coming out with uh, with content and programs and all kinds of stuff. But here's the thing, though, with YouTube Red – First of all, a lot of the early stuff, you know, just wasn't of high quality. But, it, you know, having to sit through all those um, advertisements um, and then not having the, you know, you, then you have that paywall and getting behind the paywall. Are you talking about YouTube Red or YouTube TV? No, I'm talking about YouTube Red. I'm talking about the pay service of YouTube where you have yeah. – sure where you, you can, have advertisements. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You don't have the advertisements. So then you get, you get the YouTube Red where you don't have the advertisements. But then if you're a channel and you rely on the advertisements right. for your income, it's just – it just made it ugly. It just, I think, messed it up for a lot of people. And so you get Facebook, you know, comes over and says, hey. 
yeah, over here. I don't know. It's well, just really kind of crazy. But here's the downside with Facebook. They still haven't gotten their content management system together in terms of if you want to make money, you're a content, uh, a content uh, creator. Uh, now they actually have something similar to YouTube's content ID, but it's still not to the point where, it, it, well, it's not as sophisticated as YouTube's yet. So, you know, the, the, the good part is you can make a little bit of money. The bad part is you're not going to make... Well, for instance, if you post something, you can make money. If somebody reposts, reposts what that. you did, you, you can't make money from that yet. They still haven't figured that part oh, out. Oh, that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's because that's where you, that's where the that's money is. Where you make money. Well, see, here's the thing, though. So, okay, let's say they consolidate YouTube Red and, and Play. Are they going to then go back to YouTube being able to have your own channels, ad supported, do that whole thing? Or is it just, is YouTube going to go away? I mean, as a brand? I mean, how, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so either. But it's like, that just seems so confusing. Like, how, how are you going to make money with your content on YouTube? YouTube was kind of forced into it. And the reason why was they were, they're under tremendous pressure by the major labels for music product and to make money from music. Because they're not happy with the the split. The split is 55-45, uh, 55 going to the content, the copyright holder. Uh, while every other service is at least 70-30 and sometimes even 80-20. So, uh, you know, major labels want another way to make money from YouTube, and that was one of the ways that they, they kind of pushed them into it. Wow. Well, you know, we're gonna have to be wrapping this up. But all that to say is, um, first of all, social media does work. John, you're a good example of, of social media and a success story. And I look forward to your help and Natasha's help with uh, Audio Nowcast. I will, I will, say, I will <laughs> say this, though, with every, anyone struggling. It is important, but don't let it stress you out to the point where you can't sleep at night. Yeah. Um, you know, continue to work on what you're best at. If that, you know, your craft, either mixing or or designing or writing your music. And that, that's primarily the most important thing, I, I think. You'll also hear from a lot of successful composers, especially in advertising, that their careers were based on not a zillion small relationships, but a few big ones. Like the whole time I was doing advertising music, I had you know five or six main clients who were able to keep me busy all the time. And it was their loyalty and they knew I was loyal to them too. That's what really built my career in doing that. So uh, it's it's a different approach, but there's no one right answer. I mean, you have to figure out what fits for you. Uh, and that's brilliant. And to add on to that, if you want to find out more about this, uh, Bobby's book. <laughs> yeah. Social Media Promotion for Musicians, Volume 2. When is that out right now? It'll be out by the time this podcast is out. Look at that. Wow. So middle of next year. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's August 15th. Um, nice. We're going to beat that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, wow. How was that? That was, that just segued so perfect, yeah. this whole perfect conversation. Uh, just so you know, this was not a giant commercial for Bobby's book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we could turn it into but one. But we could turn it into one. <laughs> well, hey, uh, John, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for and having me, John. You know what? As long as you're in town, why don't you come back to the next podcast or That'd so? Be amazing. Just kind of sit with us and we'll figure it out because we have some really cool guests coming up. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, Rob, you working on anything fun and exciting that you can talk about? I'm still doing some of the per piano performance stuff I talked about on the last podcast, but other than that, 
nothing nothing specific I can talk about. Though I am uh, moving my facility into more of a post mode for a little while than a music mode, which is always interesting. Getting the place retuned for post- film and TV and stuff, and it's fun. Nice. Just make sure you have bagels, and you know. Then that's what's the difference between music and uh, post production? Bagels or donuts? <laughs> <laughs> that's good to know. I'll uh, make it up. Uh, John, how about you? You working on anything you want to plug? Um, Wait, first of all, what's your Instagram account? John Nip, J O H N K N I P P. All right, and then John Nip Composer on Facebook. Nice. So you're going to get at least seven more followers. <laughs> Woohoo! All right. Because we have a small audience, but they're active. That's right. <laughs> now, um, I'm working on, I have three films on my plate right now. Um, two shorts and a feature. Can't really talk too much about that. Sure. And I'm also working on I'm taking a stab at creating my own film with a co-director, Joel Flora, out of Baltimore, um, that we should be shooting come fall. So it's going to be, very interesting to approach uh, storytelling from a director's standpoint, taking off my composer hat temporarily. It's fantastic. And, and, and try that. And then, Mike, you and I. Yeah, yeah. we know. We're, we're, yeah, we're, we got some stuff cooking. That's all I can mm. say. Hey, but what I tell you, he's one of us when he said, I can't really talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That's yeah. always the right answer. I know. It's always a, I feel so proud. <laughs> uh, Bobby, we know we've got the social media 2.0, right? Social media up. promotion for musicians, to, uh, second edition. Uh, we'll be out soon. Um, also, I started a membership site, which is hitmakersclub.com. And from that, you can get all of my courses, access to all of my courses, plus monthly webinars, workshop webinars, and Q&As, workshop mm. Q&As, and all sorts of other extras and things like that. So that's kind of cool. And also, I'm off to Cuba at the end yeah, of the week. I was going to. And wow. hopefully I'll hear lots of cool music there. That is so awesome. Yeah. You're going to see a lot of really cool cars, and you're going to hear a lot of really cool music. Let's hope. That's so cool. You're going to have to give us a full... Are you going to post anything on the when you're out there? Any uh, pictures or anything? Most likely. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Mike? Um, I'm actually working on some really cool stuff. Um, working on... John's out here. We're going to be talking about a few things. Um, and uh, the... We're one of the things that we are talking about is Audio Nowcast is is going through a little renaissance right now. So we're we're working on the website spaces. As soon as we get all that stuff ready, it's going to launch with a bunch of stuff. We've had some amazing, we've had some great shows this summer, right? I mean, yeah. I knew we were going to have a good summer, but this summer is is exceptional, yeah. and it's not over yet. I have some guests lined up for some manufacturers. That's just gonna. It's gonna be really fun. Um, so yeah, doing a doing a lot of really cool stuff, and uh, it's just really fun. And um, you know, all, all this being creative, all of it. It's like there's not there's not a better feeling than doing this stuff. You know. So if you're out there and you're struggling, you're trying to make money or whatever, and you're trying to find a job and all that stuff, just you know, when it all comes down to it, just enjoy the creative process. Just enjoy being able to make beautiful things and and. And it's beautiful if you like it. Who cares what anybody else likes? If you love it, if you like it, it's great. You're, yep. do, you're doing a great job. You know the difference between an art and a craft? What? 
Art is something you do for yourself, and the craft is something you do for everybody else. <laughs> That's great. That, that and trees don't grow to the sky. Yeah. Yes. Two things I'm taking away from this. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, if you have any comments or questions, you could reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. And from myself and all the guys, even the ones that aren't here, even the girl that isn't here, um, thank you for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.